you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Larry Lieber, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is our second half of our first Avengers episode. So this is 1B, covering a period of Avengers from 1963 to 1965. Actually, these specific issues are just 1964 to 1965. Um, But yeah, we left off with Avengers number, uh, number 10, in the last episode, so we're going to be starting off with Avengers number 11 in this episode. And I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am uh, this episode's co-host, Chris Russ, uh, the Avengers Silver Age co-host. Nice. And so, let's see, where do we leave off? Is there anything that we kind of need to know? Not really, right? Because these issues are very self-contained. In this issue, we have the original team of Avengers minus the Hulk and plus Captain America. Um, so pretty close to the the initial team um, that we started with. And these are all the the stalwart characters, I guess, except for yeah, no, Ant Man and Wasp. Yeah, they're still still around. Yeah, this is the team of, of characters that defines the Avengers. I think for me. Yes. Yeah, and has the kind of the the big three of Avengers characters, uh, namely Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America. Yeah, and while these characters do come and go, they always seem to come back. And they're every creator when they they jump on a book and they want to uh, create their own team of Avengers, usually Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America are there, and oftentimes yeah. Wasp and Hank Pym are still there too. Yeah, you're seeing you see a return to some of those core characters currently uh, with the Jason Aaron run that's happening right now on the book. Right. All right. So uh, let's get started with Avengers number 11. So in this issue, Kang returns. Uh Uh, This time he'll use his genius and inventions to torment the Avengers in the present while he watches his evil plan unfold from the far future. Uh, And his plans involve none other but the spectacular Spider-Man, kind of. Kind of, yes. And yeah, we'll find out what that kind of is implying in a moment. Uh, this might be my least favorite Avengers cover of all time. And it's, I mean, it just the lines are so thick. It's this weird web on this kind of uh, pistachio green. <laughs> and it just, it doesn't, it just doesn't look right. It just looks very rushed. The pose is weird too. It has odd blank spaces, which I wonder if they were like th- thinking um, some text boxes could go in there or something like that. But yeah, it's a strange, yeah. strange cover, and no one is looking particularly heroic or dynamic. I think it's supposed to be that the Avenger Avengers are all stuck in Spider-Man's web for sure. But it doesn't. Not a lot of uh, work was put into the comp- uh, composition to to sell that visual. Now you you mentioned the thick lines, and that is something you'll see throughout this whole issue because Chick Stone is the inker in this one. Chick yep. definitely likes his thick lines, especially when he wants to emphasize something being uh, larger or, or in the foreground. He often will use thicker lines to to denote that. Yeah, and, and there's examples of, of Chick Stone's inks that work a lot better than they do here. But, um, I mean, you see on the on the splash page, page 239 of the epic, you see a lot of those super thick lines uh, right off the bat. Yeah. And I like his thick lines in Fantastic Four when he's with Jack Kirby. I think that especially Kirby's art lends itself yeah. to the big bold lines anyway. Don Heck is a different story because he is often very fine in his detail. And if, especially if you look yeah. at his work on, say, Iron Man or even the other Avengers yeah. issues that he has in this book, uh, he, yeah. he is a lot more uh, particular and precise uh, with his with his line work, yeah, exactly. And even when we get later into his run on Avengers, he he inks himself in some issues, and uh, you can really tell how fine and sketchy and thin his work is, which is very different from the style that that Jack Kirby um, has. That that Chick Stone, um, I think, works a little better over. Yeah. 
so the the title of this book is The Mighty Avengers Meet Spider-Man. Uh, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> this is the, the Spider-Man who shows up in this book is uh, a robotic copy of Spider-Man that Kang makes with some far future technology. So basically, he wants to fight the Avengers, and he's going to do that by using a hero from their time to infiltrate. Um, and he does. He just copies Spider-Man into a robot. And the, the science. There's a lot of suspension of disbelief that you have to put into this issue, um, and kind of how all of this works is, is part of that. One of my favorite things, though, in the creation um, of this Spider-Man robot when he's deciding who he should copy is he he said it would be a simple matter for me to make exact replicas of the most powerful villains of all time and let them attack the Avengers together. And that's on page 242 of the Epic. And the most powerful villains of all time, according to Kang, are Doctor Doom, Magneto, so those two kind of check out, then Radioactive Man, which still is pretty heavy hitter, but then he picks the Unicorn and Mysterio. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought those were both kind of outliers in the most powerful of all time uh, category. Oh, yeah. Oh boy. Well, I guess the the pickings aren't as great as uh, as they are now. That's true. But even still like there's yeah. you you pick like Enchantress and the Executioner we just met a few issues ago. Like they're a force to be reckoned yeah. with for sure. Yeah. Or even um, even yeah. the Hulk you could consider maybe a villain. Exactly. Or Namor, uh Unicorn I don't think should make the cut at yeah. <laughs> any no. uh, any point in time. What did you think of this issue overall? Yeah, this issue was yeah, it was it was nothing special. I'm I think I said this in the last episode. I'm tired of Kang already. Holy cow. Kang is great, but we've had yeah. so much Kang in this book that I really don't yeah. need to. And it's like at this point it's like, you know, Kang, go back in time to just before you attempted the last time and like maybe or or take out the Avengers before they become the Avengers or I don't know. It it's weird how it seems that Kang is not able to go back in time further than the previous time he went back in time. Yeah, there's not even an attempt to explain that away or or anything. He in the Kurt Busiek run, there's an explanation in character explanation given for for that kind of uh, for him not doing things like that. That he is an honorable soldier. <laughs> and it's a kind of challenge, which kind of and he really plays up that element of his character, and he you know believes in you know battle and the arts of war so it kind of makes sense there but here we don't know why he's very um very kind of weak and pathetic in this comic um yeah he's saying things like he mustn't and he just he and he's fighting at a distance it just is not a very it's not a very good look for king yeah issue. yeah so i i thought that the programming of robo spidey was actually pretty good because he's kind of jerky like the real silver age spidey is if you read Ditko's yep. old spidey issues um, Peter talks his mouth off quite a bit, and so yeah, it, he's not always very likable. <laughs> no, <laughs> and so this robot Spidey kind of actually hits the nail right on the head a lot of the times. Yeah, I I did think it was really interesting that the robot has thoughts that we can hear, and he's yeah. very sentient. Mm -hmm. So it makes it kind of weird at the end of the book when Spider Man lets him kind of seem to fall to his death. That was a strange, strange decision because we've been hearing those thoughts of his. Um, right. And this this Spider Man actually does come back again uh, in uh, Spider Man Team Up Number Four mm. in 1996. So this okay. is not the last we will see of him. Nice. Uh, so the Spider Man uh, robot and no real Spider Man actually makes these huge web gliders like with his on his hands. Yeah, they have an aerial battle, which is strange. And the webs that uh, that Heck draws in this comic. They don't look anything like the webs that Ditko draws right. uh, in Spider-Man. They're very strange yeah. looking. Well, Ditko never never did things like this with the webs. His webs were strictly webs. He never used them. He never created things out of the webs like other other creators did. Yeah, he uh yeah, this is this is something I don't think he would. I wonder what Ditko thought about this comic. I would be I would be curious to hear his thoughts on, on this application of Spider-Man. If I were a Spider-Man fan uh, back in the 60s and I saw Spider-Man on this cover and I was expecting more of the Ditko Spider-Man, I feel like I would be very disappointed um, if, I, if I picked this up or even, you know, even the Ramita Spider-Man. It is funny that at the very end of this issue, Spider-Man, the real Spider-Man saves the day, but no one knows about it. Yeah, that is cool, which is also kind of in line with the Spider-Man book, where he sometimes saves the day, but his life still doesn't get any kind of benefit from it. Right. Um, I, I did think it was interesting. I remember when I first read these as a kid, 
this kind of uh, identical uh, heroes against each other and who would win. And Spider-Man won because of his human kind of ingenuity and creativity. So I did that. That is a cool, cool idea and a cool thing to look at. The best part about this issue is that we get a Marvel Masterwork pinup at the very end. Yeah, I always yeah, love Kang. these. Kang and, and Immortus. Oh no, sorry, uh, Ramatut and Doctor Doom. All of the people who, at this point in history, um, are apparently connected in some sort of family tree. Yes, exactly. Yep. So we know that Ramatut was. Kang in a different time, and it was heavily implied that Doom might be him, or an ancestor, or something. Like right. That. And this is further implication at this point in in Marvel Comics history. Okay, Avengers number twelve is called This Hostage Earth, and in this one, Hank Pym tries to get the Avengers to discuss a disturbance in the Ant Force, but they just kind of <laughs> laugh him off and don't pay any attention to it. But then it turns out that there really is a problem that they have to go solve. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, I, the Avengers have been around him for a while now. Yeah. And they know how the ant thing works because he's used ant related powers in a number of issues. So I don't know why they're saying it's the, they're doubting him seems more of a plot contrivance than it does something they should, they should actually be doing. I mean, it is silly. The ants are telling us that there's danger. But, but this is something that the original Avengers struggle with since the beginning. It's like not trusting each other. Um, yep. Constantly getting into little quibbles over who's better or who should do what and all this kind of stuff. And this is just another instance of it. It's like they just want to under... I don't know if even if it's intentional, but they undermine each other's authority uh, by doing little yeah. things like this. Huh, it's just ants. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of his... He was Ant-Man for a while. So well, it, must, yeah. it must not be great for his self-confidence there. That's <laughs> yeah. what they think of his kind of inherent power. Um I, there is this. It seems like Lee was trying to get the Mole Man to be a primary Avengers villain. In in uh, sixteen, he shows up briefly again. Um, we'll see him later in this collection more prominently. Um, so it seemed like initially he was going to be a primary Avengers villain, but then he doesn't show up until forty, and then not again in the rest of Volume One. So that that idea of Mole Man being a primary Avengers villain uh, kind of died off quickly. Yeah. It's okay. He's probably better suited to be a Fantastic Four villain anyway. Yes, I am not sad about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, I, he, there's some cool usage of Mole Man. Um, in the Mark Wade Daredevil uh, run, there's a, re there a really cool uh, Mole Man appearance in that um, fairly recently. So he he's an interesting character in the right hands, but I'm, I don't think he's suited to be a, an Avengers villain. So Wasp gets to be chairperson for the first time in this issue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, which is which is good because earlier in our last episode, um, you were talking about how it seemed like she was getting skipped for, for duty. Yeah, other people were having second turns and she hadn't had a first turn yet. So it's good that they're acknowledging that. She also changed her costume slightly. She has a W on her forehead now. Yep. Yep, which yeah. are more of those wasp costume changes, yeah, which all are the time. very frequent. Yep, and she uses uh, very notably. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say, um, and she uses the same contraption that Iron Man used in a previous uh, issue, in issue number three, where she can project her image to another location. Yep, and, and she does it in a much more practical and less creepy way. Exactly. Than <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very, uh, very importantly. On page uh, 262, we see Iron Man on his Iron Man roller skates. Yes. <laughs> Which is, uh, I always love when that happens. And that's how he uses the roller skates to charge his suit at the same time. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's very it's green. A good idea. <laughs> what, what I love here is the, the other contraption that Tony Stark invents here is um, it's a transistorized foxhole digger. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love these crazy names. It's really good. I, I do. Some of this art is pretty cool. Like on page 264, uh, the, the Mole Man's kind of underground lair, that, that image at the top of that page is pretty cool. Um, yeah. Some of the some of the battle sequences are, are, are kind of interesting or exciting. Um, so I, I think uh, the, the art's fine in this issue. Uh, we also see in this issue the appearance of Red Ghost, mm -hmm. uh, who is uh, another Fantastic Four villain. Uh, this time, though, um, he is not with his. Um, is it is it apes? Is it are they the his three apes? Is that what he calls them? Yeah, the super apes. 
the super apes. That's right. Um, who who can trans one can can transform into anything. Uh, they they each have their own uh, superpowers. Yeah. And, and he he kind of is uh, he's moved past them now is what he says. Yeah, two FF villains in one book is interesting. In a, in an Avengers book is interesting to see. Yeah, with no incorporation, you know, of the Fantastic Four, it's not like it's a means to get them into the book. But at this time, I wonder if Stan had the intention of like, no, this is a Fantastic Four villain and this is a Spider-Man villain, or if he was like, no, anybody can be anybody's villains. So we'll just throw them into the pool and, and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I it seems like there is some ideas of of villains that were localized to different books, but not in a very strict kind of way. Those those villains bounce around a lot in the early days. And the ones who do stick is like Steve Ditko has a Spider-Man gallery, but that's because he was really only doing that book, and yeah. and he was creating all those characters, and so they yep. they constantly appear in these stories that he's doing. Um, but Stan's doing all the rest of these books, and he can yeah. bounce around his bad guys as he pleases, I suppose. Yeah, these are a couple of strange bad guys. On on the last page of the issue, two eighty of the Epic Collection, we see we in the last panel we have this image of a, a red ghost in his purple jumpsuit and and mole man in his green jumpsuit, just kind of gesturing and yelling at each other and blaming each other. It's they're they're a couple of strange strange guys. I don't really know why they're friends. It's interesting that they're wearing green and purple um, jumpsuits because green and purple are kind of the the, the villainy colors of Marvel. Yes. Yes, that that uh, the villainous cover, villain, villainy color theory that Marvel sticks to very strictly, especially mm-hmm. in the early days. You see that a lot with the Spider-Man villains as well. You know, Green Goblin, Mysterio with the purple and green. A lot of those early villains stick to that um, that color sequence. We see actually a, a break in that, or kind of uh, uh, an inversion on that to some extent when we uh, when we see Hawkeye and Quicksilver shortly. Uh, Hawkeye right. and the purple, silver and the green, who were former villains. So it's kind of interesting they're being brought into the fold. Well, let's keep on going here to issue number 13. All right. So in issue number 13, the Avengers are hunted by the U.S. government for treason. The teen brigade are kidnapped, all because of the machinations of the Magia and Count Nefaria. Uh, The Avengers must fight to clear their name and defeat their insane and insanely rich adversary. So is this the first appearance of the Magia? And I know it is for Count Nefaria, right? Yes, yep. Uh, so, which is obviously a, a mafia stand in. Um, Count Nefaria is a very, <laughs> uh, also a very transparent name. Obviously, it's supposed to be <laughs> Nefaria. It's, it's, it's not. Uh, How can you trust someone whose name is Nefaria? Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's kind of like. It's on the, the nose. Uh, yeah, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, but they are somehow <laughs> supposed to be sympathetic or have a justifiable cause. It's, it's uh, some of those names uh, don't really uh, don't really make sense uh, internally. But uh, the the cover to this issue is another one of these really strange early Avengers covers. You have uh, Count uh, Nefaria in what looks like a Lazy Boy recliner playing playing this giant machine like a piano that <laughs> looks like it's emitting some strange smell, uh, and all the Avengers are kind of recoiling. In. Horror. That's funny. It is a dynamic cover with a huge Kirby computer, which is nice. Yes, um, the Kirby tech is cool, but uh, yeah, but it's, it's it is weird. <laughs> You're right. So I find this whole issue completely flawed because Nefaria has has this huge plan to destroy the Avengers by getting the U.S. government to kill them. So he in- <laughs> yeah. he invites them over to his house. He captures them. He immobilizes all of them so they can't yep. do anything. And then he lets them all go. It's like yeah. you're, you're, all your problems would have been just solved if you had killed them once you trapped them right there in, in your own house. Immobilize them. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't. I, there are some interesting uh, kind of government regulation issues of superheroes explored. I mean, and this is way before the Civil War books. So that's a little interesting, but yeah, overall. And also the issue starts with the Avengers fighting petty crime, which is not, I think, are they stealing furs? Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So like fur coats. Yep. And which, I mean, it could be expensive, but I I know you talked about in our last, in the first half of this episode, that the Avengers seem suited to fighting these big kind of cosmic global threats. Um, And so it seems very strange that they are just wandering around fighting petty criminals. That seems like a Spider-Man or a Daredevil thing. Yeah, and it takes Iron Man and Thor to both to stop (laughs) to to stop these uh, fur thieves. 
Like yeah. if this is a job well, for yeah, Spider Man, you know. <laughs> doesn't Thor have something to be doing in one of the realms with, you know, some some trolls or some yeah, right. evil gods <laughs> or something? This I, I think this entire era kind of after after Jack Kirby leaves, but before the Kooky Quartet begins, I, the Avengers as a book seems to be treading water a little bit. I, this this collection picks up a lot once the Kooky Quartet comes in shortly, um, but I think this kind of middle middle region of the book is uh, is some of the, the weaker parts of this collection. Well, we only have two more issues to go before we get to the Kooky Quartet, so let's. Uh... Let's keep on going through this. This is actually a two-parter. Is this the first Avengers two-parter? Oh, I think so. I mean, so in the early issues, there were some of the issues that picked up in a very logical place with like the search, you know, searching for the Hulk after he left angrily, you know, that transition from two to three. So this is the first one though, that has a cliffhanger. Yeah, because Wasp apparently dies or is very close to death at the very end of this issue. And so, yeah, the very first cliffhanger, like you can't just um, not read the next issue. Yes. Um, and, and I think, I mean, we talked about this, you know, being a kind of mediocre stretch of issues. This issue already is a big improvement over the, the previous issue, though. I like I like 14 a lot more than I like 15. Yeah, yeah, me too. So this one's called Even Avengers Can Die. And it ha- it's plotted by Stan Lee, but it's scripted by Paul Lakin and Larry Lieber. And if you go to the credits at the beginning of this book, Paul Lakin's name is not there because this is actually a pen name for Larry Ivy. And I don't know who that is. I don't know either. But it's just someone that's there. And you can definitely tell that there are two scripters on this issue because it is very wordy. There are. It's it's so much. And Larry Lieber himself, is he's just kind of a, a wordy scripter anyway. But this one's like over the top. And you can tell that Larry is scripting this one because Thor mentions his Uru hammer a number of times. And Uru is is the metal that his hammer is made up of. And Larry is the person who coined that term, Uru hammer. And Stan never uses it. And so he's <laughs> Thor has never mentioned it once in this book. But now that Larry's scripting this issue, he says it like three times. Yep. So it's a dead giveaway. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the the Jack Kirby uh, layouts on this issue really invigorate this issue. You can you can tell, especially this first splash page, um, page three hundred three of the Epic Collection, mm-hmm. with uh, with Giant Man kind of his foot dynamically leaping over the camera <laughs> yeah. angle. It's, it's really it's really strange and very Kirby, and I love it. It's, it's really Kirby cool. because the anatomy is a little. I think the perspective is a little weird. Yep. Uh, yeah, like, like his foot is behind that car. Yeah, um, uh, his uh, his left foot and then his right foot is way way far ahead. But it's pencils, it's layouts by Kirby, pencils by Don Heck, inking by Chick Stone. So it's like there's a there's a lot of people working on this book. Yes, yes, there are. Yeah, a whole 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 bunch. Oh, sorry, I have I never have uh, I haven't said the the little recap here. This issue is um, the Avengers have to free a scientist from a secret underground alien race. Of course, there's always secret underground alien races, <laughs> yep. but this scientist is the only person who can save the wasp from dying. And so there's this race against time through this issue. Yeah. Oh my goodness. On the, the number of words, if you look at that, the, the first the page 304 and 305 and just, just kind of take a step back and look at how many words are on this page. It's, it's yeah. kind of staggering. It is. It is. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's a page, page 304. It's kind of horrific how the alien dies. He just kind of, kind of suffocates or drowns or whatever that it's an alien who can't breathe earth's air without um without some kind of filtration or or, or something right um and he just kind of he's it, it's an accident how he dies but he just kind of very suddenly dies right yeah he suffocates it's uh yeah and they yeah. feel bad about it which is which is good but yeah. mostly they yeah. feel bad because now they don't have a a way to save the wasp <laughs> Exactly, um, but but Tony Stark comes through um, with a uh, well, well. They all they all kind of come through with their various technologies to try to locate this. Um, but it, but ultimately, it's uh, you see Thor's Uru hammer uh, working some magic to get them exactly where they need to go. Right. And yes, the word Uru is used many times in these early pages. And we have a classic Jack Kirby battle where there's like um, a, a a large group of thugs that all look the same and is basically our heroes showing their what kind of powers they have 
against these these thugs. It's it's classic Jack Kirby. Yep. I like oh, sorry, one more thing I forgot that it was very strange in the early pages. The doctor who's taking care of Wasp asks Thor if he has medical training just because Thor knows what lungs do. Like he, <laughs> he recognizes that she's having trouble breathing and the doc they, the the point is they're trying to build dramatic like identity revelation tension where yeah. Thor is afraid that people will know he's a doctor. But all he does is basically say he understands that lungs are related to breathing. And suddenly he's being interrogated about his medical training. That's yeah, right. Whoops, <laughs> I gotta be more careful. I need to speak exactly. more dumb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And one other thing that is interesting, an interesting choice in those early pages is Giant Man stays giant. It's almost kind of like an expression of the fact that he feels powerless, that he has to like be this big, intimidating, kind of uh, giant, uh, violent person. So it's an interesting uh, dynamic there where he feels helpless because of the Wasp's health. At the very end, we get a Watcher appearance, and that's kind of cool. Yep. Yeah, that is really cool. I love the Watcher. Yeah. Basically, it, whenever the Watcher shows up. He's pretty new to the Marvel Universe at this point. They haven't quite yep. defined what his look is either. Yep. We also have uh, we also have a very brief appearance of this other hostile race of aliens on page 320 of the Epic Collection. Yeah. Um, Kalu. Kind of cool. Yeah, we get this uh, this this intergalactic uh, war that we are, we are getting a very brief glimpse into. Okay. The uh, the other uh, kind of noteworthy thing at the end of Avengers number fourteen is there's this appeal by the Watcher to the power of prayer. Oh yeah, yeah, it, which was it was strange, and it's just like it's he says, uh, and strange. the power of prayer is still the greatest ever known in um, this endless eternal universe. So it's a it's a very religious note for this. I, I'm a Catholic guy, so this this resonated with me. It was a uh, it was a very direct religious appeal in an Avengers comic book, which was uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, I saw that, and it seemed out of place. I was like, it's yeah, could be yeah, especially like coming from the Watcher. <laughs> Yeah, it's the Avengers universe is not. I mean, there's definitely characters who are religious within the Avengers universe. Yeah, I mean, if Captain America said it, I wouldn't bat an eye. But yeah, the Watcher did at points in time. Yeah, but the, but there's not. Uh, I mean, with all the cosmic forces and deities in the cosmic pantheon of the Marvel universe, it's uh, it's strange to make a very uh, kind of uh, direct appeal to uh, prayer yeah. as we understand it. Yeah, yeah. So Avengers 15. In Avengers 15, Baron Zemo reassembles the Masters of Evil in their most powerful form yet. Captain America travels to the Amazon and engages in a battle to the death, while the Avengers square off in New York City against the Executioner, the Enchantress, uh, the Black Knight, and the Melter. So I totally forgot that the Black Knight and the Melter were part of the Masters of Evil way, way back in whatever issue issue six i think it is were they put in jail i'm trying to remember why yeah (laughs) i think they were all jailed and but it's been zemo's been with um executioner and enchantress for so long that i i I forgot by this point that they were not the original recruits yeah we the uh, so we have this kind of return to the some of the original uh, masters of evil characters we also um, have a new costume uh, for Giant Man, which uh, mm, I don't yeah. think is generally considered a classic of his. No, no, it's not as it's, good. <laughs> no, it's it's not it's not very good at all. Uh, it has this weird kind of helmet attached to it and this triangle chest plate thing. It it does not work nearly as well. It does not look very classic. I wonder if it's Don Heck that designed that one. Yeah, I I don't know. I would imagine he did. Although Kirby, I think did the layouts for this issue, um, so so it's hard to say. It could also be a Kirby Kirby design. Yeah, or or maybe whoever was drawing Ant Man Giant Man at the time. That's true. Uh, entails yep. to astonish. Yep. Um, this this issue is kind of. Uh, yeah, it, it's one of the, the features of this is that it has a ton of different supervillains um, and a, a lot of different battles and matchups. The other thing that we get in this issue that has kind of been developing slowly over this collection is that we, we really get a sense of Giant Man's, like how massive he can get and how impactful that can be. So on page 337, you see him you know, standing on two different skyscrapers and, um, and then stomping through this theater marquee. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. I, I like this idea of him being so towering that he can't even barely fit in between a pair of buildings. When Giant Man first becomes Giant Man in Tales to Astonish, his top limit is like twelve feet. Like that's yeah. that's that's all he can do. But now he's going to like 
uh, I don't know, it's got to be like 40 or 50 feet or something like that. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, it looks like he's the size of, of large buildings at this point. So uh, it, it's definitely it's definitely grown since then. The theater marquee says MMMS meets here. Yeah, uh, the Mary Marvel Marching Society. Yep, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we do see in the end of this issue um the the defeat of baron zemo so oh, yeah. he, he dies at the end of this issue um and captain america finally has resolution to his quest for for vengeance for bucky the other thing captain america does in this issue is he writes to nick fury yeah because he wants to join shield because he feels like that'll be more fulfilling since he doesn't have yes. any sort of social life or anything tying him down in the real world here he he can fully embrace the espionage life Yes. And this is something that comes up again in this book, but it's not resolved in this book. It's resolved no. over in Captain America's own book in Tales of Suspense. Yeah, I, I like that. It's it's some nice character development for Captain America, that even though he's this this kind of this perfect superhero, he writes this very... The, the, the note is very... It's not self-effacing isn't the right word, but he, he says, you won't remember me, but we met in combat during the war. I feel like people would remember Captain America if they fought with him yeah. in the war. Um, so it's very it's a very humble humble note, but it, he definitely feels directionless and listless, and he has, like he has no place in this world, which is a which is a cool compliment to the fact that he's kind of the perfect Boy Scout superhero. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's where things get a little bit different. This is Avengers number sixteen. The old order changeth. Yeah, after sending Black Knight and the Melter back to jail, Iron Man, Giant Man, and the Wasp decide to take a leave of absence, and and so they have to recruit three new members. And they have to recruit members because if they leave, they have no no one else there because Captain America is missing in action right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And Thor, oh yeah, Thor's still here. He goes missing in the next issue, I think. But yeah, I guess Thor doesn't want to be an Avenger all by himself. So yep. there there are a few things here. The Avengers, just a few issues ago, were hated by the public because everyone thought they were bad guys. And their solution here to get back in the public eye is to hire three known villains into their group. It seems like it's a bad idea. It's a very strange uh, and interesting choice for a book that's not... Uh, it's only 16 issues in. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at the... As a comparison to the Justice League, they go they go so long before they start radically changing their lineup. Whereas with with the Avengers, I mean, you know, obviously there was the the loss of the Hulk and the addition of Captain America very quickly, but now already they're entirely remaking their lineup. So nobody who started on the book is now going to be in the book. Only sixteen issues in, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's only sixteen issues, but this book was quarter or it was bi monthly for a while, so it's been yep. almost two years. And my guess is that Stan, because he's so, so particular about continuity, it's like if something's happening in Thor's book, he doesn't w- want Thor to be appearing. Like we saw Iron Man disappear for a couple issues because of something that was ha- happening in Iron Man's book. I yep. think he just found it too hard to write stories for all of these characters um, in a group setting when they're all off on their own adventures in their other books. Yes, because the continuity was so tight in these early early years. Yeah, so he takes them all out and replaces all of the characters, all of the members of the Avengers, with characters that don't have their own books. So Quicksilver, Hawkeye, and Scarlet Witch. And I think the book really improves because of that, because now that, now that Lee has the freedom to do a lot of character development and to really take his time with pacing and to have all of his characters in every issue... Um, I think the the book, it kind of gets its own identity at this point. Yeah, I think so too. And they all become mainstay characters, except for, I guess, Quicksilver. He kind of, he comes and goes a little bit, but Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye are forever Avengers. Yes, 100%. Uh, Hawkeye does a really bad job of introducing himself in this book. He... He starts by firing a, like a, a smoke arrow in, and he ties up Jarvis, and, and also like gag like with a like yeah. a gags him and then he props him up and fires arrows at him to like free him from the ropes that he tied him up in but he's not nobody is worried about jarvis like i i would be very upset if i was jarvis in this situation yes it would be very unnerving but then he also proved himself at the same time <laughs> yeah 
Interestingly, they offer a role in the Avengers to Namor. Yeah. Which is, I think, a really bad idea. The offering a, a position to Hawkeye, you know, makes sense. A lot of his villainy was kind of due to misunderstanding. Um, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, they kind of got swept up in Magneto's plans and they're good people at heart. But Namor is, he's tried to like take over the surface world. He's not, he's not a, and they have admiration for him when he says, until my people are again rulers of Earth's land, as well as her seas, I can never ally myself with any humans. And then Iron Man says, or thinks, spoken like the prince he is. That's not a good thing to say. (laughs) Spoken like the uh, evil dictator despot that he is. Exactly. That's not an admirable, uh, admirable sentiment. And then somebody somebody else off off panel says, too bad, he'd have made a great Avenger. I mean, and he does in the Roger Stern years, but... But he's still reluctant at that point, too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, he's kind of changed his attitude to some extent at that point. He's not uh, quite so dictatorial. Okay, so Thor has the his hammer has the power of dimensional teleportation in this issue. Yep, you know that Yuru metal can do just about everything. Yeah, well, and like, why doesn't he bust out this move like all the time? Get rid of Kang. Yeah. Use your dimensional teleportation. Uh, yeah, there's there's a number of things in the early Marvel Universe that are kind of like that. Uh, Spider-Man's Spidey Sense can do just about everything right. in, the, in the early years as well. And those things tend to fade away as the Marvel Universe matures. Wasp uh, is still being written like a 1960s uh, stereotype. Uh, when yeah. Hawkeye comes to visit, her first her first words are, Va-va-voom! Oh, I mean, uh, uh, he ought to do fine. <laughs> Yeah, there's some of these issues where Wasp thinks every single man in the entire book is attractive. Yeah. Um, And she doesn't have very much of a kind of... It doesn't really make sense why she's on the team. In some of the the Ant-Man Wasp stories or Giant Man Wasp stories, the solo one, not solo ones, but their own book, uh, she has like this love of adventure at points and it's really compelling. Um, And that's a cool dynamic if Hank Pym is like the scientist one and she's the adventurous one who's pulling him out into adventure. That's a much more interesting dynamic. But in the Avengers, none of that's reflected, unfortunately. I like this issue overall. I thought it had a really great, even though it was light on action, uh, that's fine because I still enjoyed the the process in which they uh, um, found new members for their team. Cap's journey back to uh, back to town, and I really, really like the end. How it ends on just this quiet note. Iron Man ushers the new recruits to the the crowd of reporters, and then he just walks back to the hall and says, "Hey guys, to Iron Man, uh, to Giant Giant Man and Wasp, uh, it's uh, it's time to go. It's we're done here, and it's just yeah. it's nice." It's a nice moment. Yep, and he rides off in the in the in the back of his car, kind of reflecting on the Avengers. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's this is a very this issue is almost entirely about character development. Yeah, really cool. and I really like it. And then at the very end, I think he says Thor has been called away at this point as well. So, uh, yeah, they're all gone. Yep, it's a, a whole new team. Uh, so, and, and then next we have uh, issue seventeen. Uh, so the new Avengers struggle to establish trust and build camaraderie. Their first adventure is the search for the Hulk, uh, but instead they find themselves lured underground by the deceptive Mole Man. That guy uh, again. again. Yeah, who pits them against uh, a Minotaur, or the Minotaur, um, but it's, it's some version of a Minotaur creature. So there are a few clips from Tales to Astonish number 69 in this issue. Yeah. This is the one I think I mentioned the last time. Hulk, Hulk is going on his own adventure at the, this point, and for some reason, they show us a few panels here and there scattered throughout this issue of kind of what's going on at the same time. And we were talking about tight continuity. This is as tight mm-hmm. as you can get here. Yeah, and I think those are actually the they're not re, like, they're not like um, reinterpretations. I think those are the actual Kirby Esposito panels from Tales to Astonish number sixty nine. I think they just are kind of like pasted in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's an odd way to tell a story, and you don't get any Avengers panels in the Tales to Astonish issue. So, you, like, this is you. We have no idea. I, I read that issue just a little while ago when I was doing the the Hulk episode, and I had mm-hmm. no idea that the the Avengers were just around the corner, kind of doing the same thing, uh, fighting yeah. this Minotaur. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I'd be really curious on how they uh, wrote, like got to that point editorially, where they decided that this is a way they're going to do the issue. It's a strange decision. 
Uh, I think that uh, overall the art is... I really like the art in this issue. I think that um, Ayers and Heck uh, kind of have... I think Dick Ayers figured out a way to work with Don Heck a lot better in this issue. He doesn't mm-hmm. in the early in the early issues that they did together. It seemed like Ayers was really directly interpreting Heck's thin, scratchy lines. Yeah. And here he takes a little bit more liberties and uh, thickens them up a little bit and adds a little bit more of his own style. And I think it I think it benefits the the art overall. I think so too. It's a lot more. It feels a lot more streamlined, and yep. it just yeah, it works really nicely. And so hopefully they can yep. keep up that uh, constant quality. Yep. And then uh, overall, the issue um, is, I think, just really fun. It seems like Stan found momentum in the character development. So even if the kind of central plot of this issue isn't terribly compelling, or, you know, the battle with the Mole Man is it's, it's nothing, and with the Minotaur creature is nothing uh, incredibly interesting on its own, but seeing how, you know, the Hawkeye's personality is developing, how he's trying to, you know, impress Scarlet Witch, um, how Captain America is trying to be the leader of these uh, this kind of rambunctious bunch of, of former villains. It's that's all very compelling. So on three on page three seventy, yeah, I I love just pointing out these really sexist remarks that Stan puts in the books at these times. <laughs> right in the middle panel, yeah. uh, Scarlet Witch says, "You destroyed those devices before I had a chance to show you what I could do, Hawkeye." And then Hawkeye says, "You don't have to do anything, gorgeous. Just stand there and let us look at you." Yeah, Hawkeye, <laughs> like I said in the last episode, he's not like a likable character in almost no. any way in these early <laughs> issues. It's it's not a it's not a kind of Han Solo roguish nobility. It's not it's not compelling. Yeah. There's not, nothing deeper to his personality really at this point. He's just kind of a jerk. Yeah, Quicksilver is a jerk too in a, in a d- different way. Uh, he's very arrogant yeah. and stuff, and so we have a lot of clashing of of big personalities in these issues as they figure out how to work with each other. Yeah, and for the like, this is you know the premier Marvel Comics superhero team, and the fact that they're made up of this kind of jerky guy who shoots arrows, two former villainous mutant characters who don't work terribly well on a team and then this kind of relic from a past age who feels listless and directionless i mean that's a very interesting collection of characters it's so different from the other two team books at the time here which is x-men when they're all teenagers and buddies and the fantastic four where they're all family members or work yeah. as a family unit, and so it's a it's a very good dynamic, and especially good that Lee has changed it up so that he can explore different ways to uh, to show a team book. And and I think that as we move through these kind of last three issues, that's the thing that that compels me the most is that is that continued uh, examination of team dynamic. Well, next up is issue number eighteen, when the commissar commands, and, and yeah. Uh, we haven't had the communists featured for a little while, so I think it's high no, time to bring him back a little bit. Dan's favorite tropes. So let's go visit communist China and aid in taking down the commissar. Commissar. So yeah, I mean that's all it really is in this issue. They travel to China. Yeah. There's a nice yep. twist at the end where they find out that the big guy that's a is actually a, a giant robot. And being controlled yep. behind a guy behind a curtain, Wizard of Oz style. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. This this evil communist warlord is kind of oppressing this village of people who, um, who kind of like capitalism, but they can't they can't really express it, or the evil communists will uh, destroy them or terrorize them. The uh, the start of this issue I really like a lot, where it's all the different Avengers and their civilian life going on there. They're doing their own thing, um, right. except for Captain America, who doesn't have anything to do, and he's really sad. <laughs> Poor that, old sad um, Captain America. Yeah, exactly. He said, uh, uh, he, yeah, he said, oh, if only Nick Fury would answer the letter I sent him. So it's that, that letter coming up again in this issue. So try and explain to me this exchange on page 389. All right. Scarlet Witch enters the room, and Pietro says, do not disturb me now, Wanda. I am watching the circus acrobats perform. And she says, the circus, I've uh, always the circus, but I have something for you, Pietro. Um, I have two tickets for Twelfth Night at the Repertory Theater. And then he says, funny you should mention that I have just bought two tickets to the circus. So then they go their separate way. Like, why do they even yeah. have two tickets? It doesn't, they, <laughs> they, they just, uh, no. it, it's a weird, it's a weird exchange because they're not mad at each other. Or anything like no. that. It's just they just 
did their own thing, but they didn't need two yeah. tickets. And they and there's no like communication like, oh, I guess we'll just do our own thing anyway, or let's pick one or the other. They just they go. Just, they just go. And then also there's a there's a room that they're in that has couches in it, and he's standing like inches from the TV, like staring <laughs> at the circus program. And how often is the circus on the on TV? I mean, they've been kind of lying low for a while. Scarlet Witch is implying that he watches the circus on a television or or in some way talks about it constantly. <laughs> yeah. Which I have not read that many early X-Men comics. I don't think that was an integral part of his personality. I could be wrong. It is for Hawkeye, though, on the other hand. Yes. Yes. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> it's so strange. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, the, I the, I find the Captain America um, on page three eighty eight that his kind of loneliness uh, and his longing for more out of life that that makes a lot more sense to me. But but even yep. this kind of silly character stuff is is interesting. Uh, Hawkeye's is the strangest. He invents an arrow that when it attaches to things, kind of throws that it's like a gravity arrow. Mm-hmm. But he just attach he shoots the safe and it f- makes the safe fly out of the building. And then he says, I'll send a moving crew to replace the safe. <laughs> so, like, he's going to buy a new safe, and but there's a hole in the side of the building now. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, this flo- <laughs> this safe is, like, floating in orbit around the Earth forever. I don't know. Hopefully. That's the best-case scenario, unless it lands on somebody, which is Yikes. much worse. <laughs> so, I also like the, the art uh, in these early pages. I think I think Heck does a very good job with, with kind of the faces. And, I mean, he has a background in, I think, romance comics, so he's kind of good at those personal moments. Yep. The artwork, though, takes a big dive as soon as we see the, the communist stuff. There's a lot of really stereotypical kind of caricature art. Um, and even aside from, from those problems, like, some of the art's really sloppy. Well, I was actually going to say that it's um, it's hit or miss through this section because if you go to page three ninety four and three ninety five, yes. which is page eight or nine, yep. I really like the art on these two pages. I think 100%. that there's just some great detail. The backgrounds are amazing. The folds and the clothes, the shadows, like there. This page looks absolutely beautiful. You're you're very right. That page, especially the top of three ninety four, is is awesome yeah avengers assemble um totally. of collection of panels it looks great um, yeah but then you contrast that with um once you get to page 402 which is page 16 of this issue here and um and this fight between captain america and the commissar we, it's like awkward poses yep. and weird faces and it's like a different person is drawing all of a sudden or at least a different person inking yeah, it's it's very inconsistent. You're right. I, I some of this is really great, um, and I really like it. But then some of it's strange. And then I think the commissar maybe in his wrestling garb. I don't know if he was intended. I think he was only supposed to have like that underwear thing on. And I feel like maybe because of comics code, they added this like jumpsuit looking thing. Maybe because because yeah. it's this weird like super skin tight like spandex suit he's in, and it looks strange. Yeah, it's. It's hit or miss. But then you have other nice panels like on 405, uh, some of those expressions uh, like by Scarlet Witch and, and Captain yeah, America are, totally. are pretty good. Uh, but then last page of the issue, the the uh, image of the commissar exploding as a robot is not, <laughs> is, is not that convenient. <laughs> it, looks like a, it looks like something out of a Donald Duck cartoon uh, or comic. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah exactly. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yep. Um, I really like that Scarlet Witch saves the day. Because she yeah. has been constantly plagued with her own insecurities and yeah. uh, and and self-worth and stuff like that. And so it's good that she saves the day. Now, the funniest part of this whole issue is when Scarlet Witch is captured on, what page is it here? Page 399. She says, I am yet unharmed, but I find myself helpless, hampered by a blindfold. I cannot use my hex powers. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know <laughs> if that's an actual weakness of her powers. Uh, you know, some people are, are weakened by yellow, the color yellow. Yep. Some people, you know, can't uh, can't touch wood. She can't have a blindfold on. Yep, that's apparently her. She has to see things to hex them. Yeah, Lee definitely has a lot of those. Iron Man always runs out of battery in his costume. Spider-Man runs out of web fluid. Thor gets detached from his hammer for a while. Yeah. Like, there's all of these, these kind of tropes early on. Except for Captain America. Yeah, Captain America yeah. has no weaknesses, uh-uh. <laughs> none whatsoever, <laughs> uh, which is which is really cool. Uh, yeah, I, he's Captain America is my favorite superhero. I think, of the whole nice. Time, so. Yeah, he's, uh, so I love seeing him in this kind of leadership role in, in this book. It's very compelling. 
All right. Um, so issue number 19, uh, this is the coming of the swordsman. Uh, so this character, the swordsman, shows up at the Avengers mansion, uh, kind of starts fighting everybody, uh, announces that he wants to become a part of the team. And uh, as a result of this, we learn more about the origin of Hawkeye. Um, okay, so Cap's shield letter long game is finally kind of coming to a head here. In, in a way. In, yes. a, in a way, yeah, yes. A little bit of resolution. Um, yeah. But, uh, but again, yeah, the final resolution and the full story is told in Tales of Suspense. So check out definitely yeah. check out those issues um but yeah basically the swordsman they do they do like a background check on swordsman while he's lying unconscious on the floor <laughs> yeah. which is, uh which is which is interesting and it turns out that he's a criminal and and he's been exiled from a dozen countries and you know he's not a very very good guy essentially and we learn that he is um he was kind of a carnival attraction and he taught hawkeye all of his skills um, and then until Hawkeye caught him stealing from the, the circus, uh, didn't wasn't wasn't okay with that, and a swordsman kind of chased him off and almost killed him. So the 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 swordsman is a villain who breaks into the Avengers mansion and wants to be part of the Avengers. Yes, that is exactly what Hawkeye did. Exactly. Yeah, and they. Were, they gave Hawkeye a chance, but these guys are so hypocritical because they're like, no, we're not giving you a chance. You're a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, after they do that background check. I mean, he is, he is swinging a sword at all of them, which is, I mean, Hawkeye fired arrows at Jarvis, but it, it does seem a little bit more aggressive. Definitely more aggressive, but it's still the same. It's like the same thing here. And these guys are like, yeah, they did a background check, but if you did a background check on Hawkeye, you'd find the same thing. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, he doesn't exactly get a fair shake, and no. some of those ideas of how good or bad of a person he really is um, are are explored um, kind of in, in, in the next issue as well, which is interesting. So the way that Cap's uh, letter is, <laughs> so it gets sent to an old office of Nick Fury, like it didn't get delivered to his current location, um, the old secret headquarters. So Hydra uses this like gun that teleports things away to get the letter. But, but then he they throw it on the ground and some kind of hoodlum-type dude picks it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's, it's great. I yeah. love how uh, Cap gets tricked so easily over and over again in this book. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He, uh, he's, I think he's very, he's very eager to, to have something more going on in his life, so maybe he's not looking at things as critically as he should be. But, but essentially, uh, Swordsman finds out that uh, he gets this letter, finds out that Cap really wants to join S.H.I.E.L.D. He, uh, in, he pretends to, to offer him a position and uh, basically uh, uses that as a, as a lure, as a trap. And then he gets trapped and it leads us directly into the next issue. This is another cliffhanger. Issue number 20 is called Vengeance is Ours. And we've been pointing out all of the terrible covers in this book that we don't like, but this one is one of my favorites. Incredible. And this the art in this whole issue is really, really incredible because we have um, Zowie-type inking, as Stanley Lee describes it, <laughs> by Wally Wood, the famous Wally Wood. Yeah. He was a big deal at this time, and I think people don't realize um, just how big of a person Wally was at um, in, in the 60s. Like, he... Um, I was listening to an interview, I think, with Denny O'Neill. And I have to find I can't remember where I heard this. But he was saying that um, Stan tried so hard to get Wally to come over to Marvel and do stuff for Marvel that his page rate was way higher than everybody else's page rate um, when he was writing and drawing. Wow. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's he was highly sought after, especially because of his work with EC and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you see Stan even shouts him out on the cover. He says, special note to art lovers. Wait till you see wonderful Wally Wood's inking of Don's drawings in this great ish. So he's really trying to hype it up. Yep. Yeah, putting his name on the cover actually did something. People would stand up and listen. And I yeah. don't know that this is Wally inking the cover, though. It doesn't look like Wally Wood's uh, inks on the front cover. Yeah. Um, but uh, I still love this cover. Just the this the background here, the perspective with all the buildings, and just the shot of Cap falling, and he's like frozen there in midair, like in the motion of falling with the uh, with yep. all of these other three Avengers kind of looking in shock as he's falling down on top of them. And he looks scared and helpless. Yeah, 
and I just love it. It reminds me of there's an X-Men cover. I can't remember what number it is, but it's the first appearance of the stranger. And the stranger is just kind of standing in midair with a backdrop of buildings behind them. And I don't know what it is about just how Jack freezes time with a character suspended in midair like this, but I think it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's great. This is a really, really good cover. And you see you see the uh, the effect of the Wallywood Ian Keen right away on page one. I mean, this page is so clean. I this I some sometimes when we're going through these old nineteen sixties epic collections, like I mean I love nineteen sixties comics, so I'm I enjoy all of these, but some of the stuff doesn't age as well. This this art ages wonderfully. I mean if you opened up a comic and you saw that you know nowadays like a you know indie comic and you saw some art like this, you'd be really happy. Like this translates really well. Now the odd thing about this one is that the, the halfway through the issue, the the whole story kind of does this about face because the the swordsman is captured. Of course, they the, the Avengers save Captain America from the from the swordsman, but then the swordsman disappears and is whisked away to the lair of of the Mandarin. Yep, and the Mandarin wants to give him some powers and stuff like that, and. Um, all of a sudden, we have a a much different purpose. Yeah, and and now the the swordsman is um, he's trying to infiltrate the Avengers um, in order to kind of deceive them on behalf of the Mandarin, and he has all these additional powers now. And the Mandarin has some really sinister plans. He's he he wants to to plant a bomb. <laughs> Those pesky bombs. But just if you yep. go to page um, three forty six and three forty seven, that's page eighteen and nineteen. Mm-hmm. I just love how moody this page is with the yeah. big, big black shadows. Um, a lot of the characters are are backlit or like the there's just the dynamic explosions here. Like you can tell that Wally comes from the EC background because of the, yep. the EC horror stories and such where every issue was as moody as this. And I just love it. And you turn the page again and you get this great on page uh, 448 and you get this one panel that has Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and their faces are lit up. It's like, yeah, yeah. you don't, none of these other guys did anything like this. No, the facial expressions are all just perfect. And he, he never uses more lines than he has to. It's, it's very minimal. It's very clean, but it does so much. It's so impactful. Now, is this the only issue that he does? Uh, in this, in this epic collection, I think this is the only one that he uh, does. Yeah. I think the very next issue of the, of volume two, that epic collection also has a Wallywood um, inks on it as well. Okay, honestly. it's too bad he doesn't stick around, and like uh, he does very minimal stuff for, for Marvel. Yeah, a little bit of Daredevil, but yeah. not not really too much at all. Yeah. Yep, I, I actually have the uh, the second epic collection right here. So, um, yep, uh, issue issue twenty one has uh, Wallywood inks on it. Good. I'll be looking forward to uh, checking that one out too. Yep. Um, so, so again, this this kind of one of the the artistic um, kind of trends you can look for, themes you can look for in these early Avengers issues by Don Heck is how much Don Heck's pencils can really be um, uh, can really be changed depending on who his inker is. And I, I don't think that I don't think that speaks negatively to, to Don Heck. It's just um, it's just interesting to see the importance of inkers, especially at this time in comic book history. Yeah, yeah, they really do change things up. Who was I talking to? One of my interviews, but he was mm. saying he was saying that uh, once once the kids who were reading these comics grew up and entered the field themselves in like the eighties and the nineties, they thought that they had to put all of the detail that the inkers put in into their pencils. So all of a sudden we had a generation of comic book artists who were drawing so incredibly detailed stuff. And then the inker yeah. was becoming less and less relevant, like their own style was being less and less relevant. Um, and I heard there's a there's another um, uh, comic book uh, personality, Sleepy Reader. He's on Twitter and his YouTube channels. And his he has this theory now that in the same way that uh, inkers used to really modify the artwork, now colorists are kind of taking over that role. Um, That's so true. A book is yep. really affected by colorists in, in the modern day, um, which I thought I thought is a really interesting and accurate point. It's very interesting. And if you look at, um, like, if you go to Paul Mount's Facebook page, he's always posting before and after pictures of, like, the pencils without his colors and then with his colors. And Mm. um, pencilers, I think a lot of them will not be so heavy on the shadows anymore or the just the the spot blacks and all that kind of stuff because they know that it's going to be fully rendered in color. Yeah. So, or the or the backgrounds. I mean, sometimes a lot of modern um, line artists will leave the backgrounds like a lot of them very blank, and the colorists will will do a ton of work there. 
Yeah, there's also computer programs that render cityscapes and that kind of stuff now too that you can insert in there. Um, a lot yeah. of a lot of artists will use that to aid in in their work as well. Um, yep. So yeah, there's uh, different little tips and techniques. It's interesting to see how the medium has progressed over the years. Yeah. Uh, overall, um, back to, to Avengers number 20, uh, the, the issue ends with the swordsman not being able to, to go through with um, with murder, essentially. Um, so he's trying to deactivate the bomb, but then the Avengers see him messing with a bomb and they think he's kind of trying to, to, to set it off or to detonate it. And... Um, and the issue the issue ends with him um, with the Avengers not knowing that he had good intentions, kind of in the end. Yeah, which is which is kind of it's kind of how similar to the the Power Man story, except for um, that story ended with Power Man the Avengers realizing the Power Man was was kind of uh, had did something good at the end, and, and in this it's kind of a mystery. It's a little more tragic, so it's an interesting twist. Well, Swordsman will get his time in the in the sun in uh, several several volumes from now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. Uh, overall, I like this collection a lot. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Avengers, and you know, this I have a lot of memories of my childhood reading reading these stories. Um, overall, I, if if you're trying to get into the Avengers, if you're a com- completionist, a completist, and you want to start from the beginning, it's a good place to start. But but overall, if you don't really know about the Avengers, I think there's um, a few better places to possibly jump on if you want to really get into the spirit of the team quickly. I think that's true. I think that people can jump on. Um, somewhere else to uh, it's just more accessible the characters are better defined Um, they've ironed out a few of just the wrinkles of what makes the Avengers the Avengers but then going back to this to read the history and and experience uh, the beginning and how how everything started is is always a treat too and this one's a good issue it's much better 100% it's much better than reading like the first volume of Thor uh, or something like that yeah And there is the, it's really cool to see the, the continuity tie-ins for the rest of the Marvel Universe, um, see how, how all these characters are kind of linking up and the universe is taking shape. I mean, I think I would, I would recommend maybe like Avengers in the 50s, you know, maybe first appearance of the Vision in 57 is a really great place to start. The yeah. Roger Stern run maybe starting around 257. You get the Kang story, Under Siege, Assault on Olympus right in a row pretty much. That's a really good place to start. And then the the kind of classic starting point in the modern time is the Kurt Busiek, George Perez, um, volume three of the Avengers. It's just right. incredible. Yeah, there you go. There are a few bonus features in this epic collection. Uh, we have some house ads and some original art. It's always cool to see yeah. kind of what's different or what's the, what's the same uh, with the original art. Some covers and that yeah. kind of stuff. Swordsman went through a little costume change. Yeah, he almost had this strange kind of bumpy helmet thing, which yeah. I, I think they made the correct decision in in removing that. And yeah, it's a uh, yeah, that's about it. Not not a whole lot. You have one original art of um, the Don Heck Wally Wood um, issue yep. with the with the Mandarin, but uh, no essays or anything like that. It's just no, uh, no it's already issues. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it's okay because it's a packed volume and. Uh, it's really, really good. Now, my yep. one thing I want to mention about just the production or the presentation of this this book is printed by LCS Communications, mm. or sorry, R.R. Um, R. Donnelly, who is now LCS Communications. They're the same company. Okay. Um, this book, the pages are already yellowing in my copy. Uh, and oh. this came out maybe four years ago. And okay. the pages are, are very yellow. I, the other books that I have from this year that were released, when was this? first um, printing? Oh, 2014. The other books that were released in 2014, they're starting to yellow a little bit too. But for some reason, this Avengers one has just gotten really yellow. So, huh. um, Mine looks okay. Yeah. I have, I'm not seeing that too much yet, I don't think. And I think it happens when I read the book, of course, because I, I think just the oil from my skin will start to yeah. discolor it. And so I see the books that I've read are definitely more yellow than the books that I haven't read. But this one, yep. is more more than others, definitely. It stands out. And so I think people don't like companies like um, Quad or Solisco for using some more slicker paper, but that stuff is going to stay whiter a lot longer, I think. Yeah, but but I mean, in terms of the, I mean, I've read mine a bunch, and my 
my five-year-old has read this a bunch too and it's it's holding the kid which you know obviously will age your book a little quicker yeah. when kids start paging uh paging through but mine is holding up really well in terms of the binding oh um, yeah yeah no, no problem with the no issue, none of those kind of critical issues of like pages loose or anything yeah like that. no um back then like you could if you look at how much glue is used in this spine compared to how much quad uses it's just it's night and day yeah it's like there's a good yep. millimeter of glue whereas quad is like <laughs> yeah. you can't even see the glue yep yeah overall this is it's a fun book i mean if you if you like if you like early marvel if you like 1960s comics um silver age comics in general you're gonna have a blast reading this I think, and the best part is that it just get, keeps on getting better as the volumes go along so yep you're in, in for uh, a constant treat 100 percent. yep so next time that we are on the show together, we'll tackle more classic Avengers. Now, I haven't discussed with this with you ahead of time, so I'm just going to throw this all out here right now. I mm-hmm. would like to do the Avengers Defenders War volume. Ooh, yeah. I'm reading that right now, actually. Awesome. And what I would like to do is I'm going to obviously cut this one in two parts because I really okay. want to tackle just the Avengers Defenders story. And I want to bring in my Defenders host, Jason, and have a three-part conversation because it's so heavily um, directly involved with both of these books, of course. That's fantastic. Jason knows his Defender stuff. I yeah. love those episodes that he's on. So <laughs> that'll, that'll be great because I've read, I've read some of the DeMatteis Defenders, but, but other than that, I'm pretty, pretty ignorant on Defenders. Yeah, so I think that'll be really, really fun. And then that episode will act as Avengers Episode 7A and also... All right. Defenders episode one B. It'll be the same episode. Oh, that's cool. It's a <laughs> yeah. combo. So it's in the same way that uh, that was the first kind of major comic book crossover. This will be the first um, epic Marvel podcast crossover. Nice. Okay, let's wrap it up here. Thanks for joining us again, right. Chris. And uh, yeah, follow Chris on uh, Twitter and like all of his yep. amazing Avengers posts. Yeah, at Chris J. Russ on Twitter. I just generally tweet about comic books. Um, you can also find some links on there to some of the articles I've written about the Avengers. Awesome. And next week, um, I can't remember what episode we're going to have next week, but we you will find out in seven days. So everybody, hang <laughs> tight, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.